Hello and welcome to Unidentified Wargamer. Each week I interview a wargamer and identify them in the hobby. This week I've got on with me Morgan. Morgan is a part of the MCP or Marvel Crisis Protocol gaming system. I've brought Morgan on just to chat about the game, uh, ways to get into it and what it's all about. How have you been Morgan? Hey, good, Sam. And um, I was just saying before, as we sort of dialed in and, and met each other on this Zoom podcast, that it seems odd to meet you for the first time over Zoom, yeah. but uh, it's the new world and, and here we are. So thanks for having me on. It's a pleasure to no talk about some games. Yeah, it'll be interesting to sort of learn about a game system that I've not really been involved with. I bought some models to paint up because they look cool, um, but I've not delved into it as sort of a side game like a lot of other people in our group chat have. Um, so I'm keen to to hear all about it and sort of maybe dip my toe in at some point because um, there is always the online version as well, which is a bit easier to pick up because you don't have to buy models. Yeah, look, <laughs> absolutely. And so MCP, I suppose, is, is just a, um, for people who've never heard of it, that's Marvel Crisis Protocol. Yeah. Um, so it's based on uh, you know the basically the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So you know the Avengers recently and and also the comics. So it's a it's a skirmish game, small skirmish game with between generally three to eight models, um, played in about ninety minutes on a three by three foot table. Um, so that's just I suppose the upfront of what MCP yeah. is as, <laughs> as we're chatting away. Like what the hell are they talking about? Yeah, yeah. I've already been using the acronym the whole time. <laughs> as you would help, I'm glad you explained it for us for everyone for, uh, for everyone else as well, which is good. Um, so what sort of do you think is a main draw to sort of that sort of gaming system because it's a smaller table, um, small amount of models, and it's a good short time frame. Because a lot of my audience is Age of Sigma. What sort of things do you think would interest them most to come over and give Marvel a go? Yeah, I mean, I mean, selling point, we're all trying to sell the games that we play and love. But um, the thing that, I mean, look, I've played the large-scale games as well. Um, I've played a couple of games of Age of Sigma, as we were chatting about before. Um, <laughs> I've, I've played a, a bunch of um, Star Wars Legion as well, mm-hmm. which is that larger scale. And way back in the day, I played a little bit of Warhammer Fantasy when I was in high school. Um, so I'm sort of familiar with the, the scales. Okay. But what I've really enjoyed about Marvel um, was a number of things. Firstly, I think out of all the games I've ever played, um, it's got the tightest rule set. So the, the rules are really, really good. And I almost never refer to a rule book. And occasionally, oh, wow. okay. yeah, so it's not flicking through pages. What does this do? What does that do? All mm-hmm. the rules are virtually on the cards in front of you, on your character cards. Um, and really the, the online rules forums or the FAQs um, is where you might go to for some niche interactions. And mm-hmm. why that's important, I think, as players is that there's not um, ambiguity. If you've got a question, you put it on the rules forum and it gets answered within a day or two by the developers. Okay. And then that's the rule and away you go. So the rule system is really, really tight and really, really well executed. Um, so it's simple, a really simple rule set that you just go and play. So that's the first thing that I love about it. Um, the second thing is I love Marvel. Um, I love the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I mean, Thor and Chris Hemsworth. I mean, what a stud, but he's my favourite He's my favorite <laughs> Marvel character. Um, he's really good. Um, and, you know, watching watching the Avengers, you know, the, the series of 20-odd movies over the last however many years, um, many people, I imagine, have felt like they've almost grown up with those movies. Um, and so to be able to put those characters on the table and play with them, it's really a rewarding feeling for someone who's a fan of it because I think the developers have done a wonderful job so far in translating the character to their rule set and their abilities on the table. So when you're playing okay. Thanos or when you're playing um, Hulk Buster or you're playing Hulk, it feels like you're playing that character and they have all the traits and things you'd expect from the characters. So 
you sort of combine those things together and then you go, hey, well, it's only between three and eight models on the table at a time on a three by three foot table. Um, this is pretty easy to crack a game in 90 minutes. So it's not okay. endless setup. It's not huge carry bag, <laughs> everything. And, you know, you can get two or three games in um, in the time that you would maybe get one of those larger scale games in. So okay. you know, there's a whole bunch more other things. But the, the big selling points for me was that is the rule set's great. And I love the theme of, of Marvel characters. Yeah, right. Yeah, that, that's really interesting because yeah, the bigger scale games you do have to you've got to carry so much. Like I have a massive carry case to try and get all my Age of Sigmar army in there. I've got to carry rule books and everything else. But you said a bit of a keyword earlier, which was ambiguity. <laughs> I'm not sure if you've heard, but there was a meme going around that the rules developer for Age of Sigmar 3.0 was like, "There's going to be no room for ambiguity. The rules will be watertight, so you have no issues." <laughs> Oh, no. so, uh, Someone said that, that was what he said <laughs> in a video to introduce the new um, Age of Sigma 3.0 was wow. what he said. <laughs> look, I, and look, I'm not. I'm I'm a, a very novice Age of Sigma player. I've had um, I've had now eight or nine games, um, mm-hmm. and so I, I probably can't comment. But I would find that surprising. <laughs> <laughs> so did everyone else when we heard that? We were like, "Do you know what crowd and what game you're talking about here?" Um, it very much, everyone poked holes in that straight away. So that was, uh, as soon as you said that word, I'm like, oh, I've got to bring that up now. <laughs> What's, I mean, what, what strikes me, just to go off on a tangent for the Age of Sigma stuff, is the amount of rules in different areas is just staggering. Like, it is mm. staggering. I, I can't even wrap my head around it. You've got Arata's FAQs, you've got Battle Tomes, and you've got the general handbooks and all the, mm. you know, all the other things that I probably don't know and other people are thinking about right now. But... That's really, really intimidating and daunting to try and wrap your head around and to think of that game competitively because I'm a, I'm a competitive gamer. That's what I enjoy mm-hmm. doing. To think of the effort that you'd have to go to to be good at this game, to understand, interpret, and absorb all of that information and stay on top of it as it keeps changing is, I mean, that's that seems like a full-time job. Yeah, it's, it's pretty rough. Um, you're lucky you haven't gone to 40K. From what I've heard, there are five or six books per, like per certain armies. Um, so I think we're a little bit luckier. So I think when you say you don't need any rules to look at, you only need the occasional FAQ. Um, that seems very wild to me and seems quite interesting that the rules are like basic, but have enough depth to them that you can learn them and and memorize them and not have too many issues. Um, which is nice to see. Well, it's an interesting point you raised there. And look, I've not given this a lot of thought, but now that I suppose I've, I've dabbled in a few different systems and it, it keeps coming up, especially with the Age of Sigma crowd that I'm, I'm sort of dabbling with now, who are a great bunch of dudes, by the way, and lady. Um, but the the complexity in Marvel, and I suppose the complexity I've found in Age of Sigma, in Age of Sigma, it seems to be the volume of rules and understanding what your opposing army does and what your mm-hmm. army does and how you execute your crazy combo and how they execute theirs. Um, and there seems to be a lot of complexity in understanding and, and just absorbing those rules, whereas the complexity in Marvel Crisis Protocol is how you actually do your tactical um, your tactical game plan. Okay. So the rules are simple, but then the, the breadth of options you have as a player um, is really rewarding, um, both strategically, because there's a lot of strategic decisions you can make in your roster construction. Unlike Age of Sigma, where you have a set list and that's what you play for the an event, um, in Marvel, you take something called a roster, which is, let's call it, well, it is 10 characters. Okay. Um, and there's some other things there, but I don't want to get too much into the weeds on it. But when you play a game, as I said earlier, it's, it's generally between three and eight characters. And most likely it's around that five character mark. 
make you take 10 in your roster. So you've almost got an inbuilt yeah. sideboard. Okay. So you can you can choose which characters you want to play in each fight you have in a, in a, an event or a tournament, um, and you can play you know any combination of your your ten characters. So you know the the, the strategic depth in constructing that roster because there's around a hundred odd characters in the game, and there's no limitations yep. on putting any characters together whatsoever. There are some bonus oh, that's cool. things, but there's no yep. you know you can play, and one of the, the the classic funny ones is you can play Magneto with Red Skull, which. Um, you know, one is a Nazi and, and Magneto uh, is, is you know, a Jewish character. Um, yeah. So that's a bit odd. And there's some other odd ones like that. But you can do those things. Um, and so the strategic depth in the roster construction, you can go whatever path you want to go and however you want to build your force the way that suits you and suits mm-hmm. how your brain works and the style you want to play. Do you want to play control? Do you want to play just violence? Like you can, you can tailor your roster how you want to do it. And then when you get on the table, tactically, um, because the rules are simple, you're not trying to get across you know, millions of, of volumes of you know, rule tomes, you can just go and execute the fight in front of you. Um, and there's a lot of okay. dynamic, adaptive play that I've just simply not come across in other game systems. Okay, that's cool. Do you find there's many like gotcha moments? Um, yeah, look, there are. So um, when I say the rule system is easy, um, the, the the piece that I, I haven't articulated, which I will now because that's a good question, yeah. is that <laughs> with those characters, um, you might have five characters on your team and your opponent might have five characters. They've got a card um, similar to, in Age of Sigmar, it's got the, you know, the war scrolls you can buy? Yep. Those little mm-hmm. cards. So you can you get the same thing in, in Marvel Crisis Protocol. And they, some characters have a lot of rules on their card and some characters don't have many. So the gotchas okay. are, I find, and um, when you're, you know, like any game system, once you experience, you don't, there's not really any gotchas anymore. Yeah. But when you're learning, there's a bunch because you've got to understand, we'll try and understand what your opponent's characters do. And if you don't know some of their, you know, rules or abilities, that they might catch you off guard. So it does happen as you're learning. Yep. Okay. So it's more of a thing you haven't really experienced is what will give you a learning lesson there. And then once you've experienced, it's not really going to come up a whole lot. Um, Cause I still find even now it might just be because of the amount of rules and war schools. And we have in age of Sigma, I still get caught out by gotchas either something that someone's told me and I've forgotten because there's so much to remember about an opponent's army, especially when it's one you've not played against. Um, but even there's still gotchas in the base rules of, um, there's a thing called redeploy. If you move within nine inches, you get to roll a D6. And a lot of the time, because you're doing so many other things without keeping that ingrained in your brain, you'll get caught out by that a few times and you'll forget and you'll be like, oh, I'm going to do this. I got you there. And the rule itself is made to be a gotcha because you've moved within a certain range and you just roll a dice against them. And it's just like, it's a weird sort of interaction and people don't sort of like it a whole lot. There's a lot of tactics behind it. But it's a massive sort of gotcha, as well as a few of the other rules they've implemented. Um, so it's nice to sort of see a game where there's complexity, but there's not many gotchas outside of learning the game itself, really. Yeah, and look, I don't want to falsely sell it. There are some characters that are designed to be just absolute trickery monsters, like Mysterio from, um, you would have seen from, okay. um, the Spider-Man, recent Spider-Man movies. Mysterio's a really bit of a gotcha character. You need to read his rules when you're playing against him. You go, oh, he does what now? <laughs> uh, there's, there's a few of those but not many mm-hmm. do you find interactions are pretty clear because i know in age of sigma you'll talk about three or four different things this happens in this phase this happens there and not until you actually see it 
um, sort of combined on the table to the point that that's there, what they've designed it for. Do you really understand what that's being done and what they're attempting to do? Do you find there's many of them in Marvel? Yeah, so when you're learning the game, um, you know, when I said before, hey, I don't use the rule book, um, the times occasionally you do, there's a timing chart, and that's the most, um, I think, the most critical part of the the rules in MCP is the timing chart. And it goes through, it, it walks you through an attack sequence because most of the stuff is around attacking and defending. That's where, okay. the, where you've got to do the follower sequence. And so um, when you're learning it, it's really good to actually print out. It's only one page. You just print that out. You can have that next to your table. It's only one um, page. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not. It's very nice. Like it's, it's probably only an A5 as well. It's only small, but it's just a, yeah. it runs you through the steps from. I think it's one to. I want to say one to fourteen on like, hey, select target. You know, create your dice pool, roll dice, like really simple stuff. Okay, it takes you through the steps. So if you're confused by things that you know, when does something occur? It just tells you in the timing chart. And that will solve, honestly, yeah, okay. 90% and probably 95% of all rules questions that come up. And most players just don't use it, though, and they go all for them <laughs> or they ask a friend or whatever. But that's a, that's a really good tip if you, if you want to learn the right. game. And that's sort of something that prints out or is that available through the MCP sort of website or where do you sort of get something like that from? Yeah, good question. So all the rules for MCP are available for free online and Atomic Mass Games does the, does the you know, creates the game. And if you just look up Atomic Mass Games and go into, you know, rules, there's a button that just says rules and you click on the rule book and then it's only, I don't know, 20 odd pages. And then you just scroll down to the bottom, there's a timing chart and you can just print it. It seems they're, they're wanting you to interact like with their systems and produce easy to read, easy to understand stuff without it. Being you've got to click through like if someone didn't know about the FAQs or writers, there's no easy link or there's no way unless you actually search in Google Warhammer Community and you go to that, you'd never know that would be a thing. Yeah. And some of that can be such core to your army, and you've not understood that, and you then you go to a tournament and you don't realize, and someone goes, "Oh no, this this and this has been changed about your whole army." Yeah. How have you ever supposed to know that? It's like. Coming into his my this is my my first sort of massive war game that I've ever picked up and played, so I've had to. These are just things that I've picked up and realised as a as a player. So when you talk about, you can go on their website, you get free rules. You've got this little timing chart for free on their website as part of their rules thing. It sort of not blows my mind, but it's just like wow, that seems very streamlined and easy to pick up, like a lot easier than. Uh, Warhammer games in general. Yeah, I think it's um it's another good point you raised. I think that's what's really taken me by surprise as I've, as I've dabbled <laughs> in Age of Sigmar is that my, my mindset has been, hey, this is a really simple, straightforward process of rules and interaction with the developers and getting you know clarifications as required mm-hmm. because they answer on their their, their forums within. A that's Delta, crazy. You know? yeah. It's fantastic. Yeah. Um, and they'll make you know errata's six to twelve monthlies as as required. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I was trying to figure out Age of Sigmar, I just <laughs> just blew my mind how much of a mess it was. Anyway, I shouldn't I shouldn't um, be discouraged. I know many of your listeners love the game, and um, but it blew my mind how messy the rule system was. We love the game, but yeah. that's what you talk. Well, that frustrates every single player. Yeah, I think we because we enjoy it so much, we want the game to be easy to pick up and easy to play and easy for new people. So when we hear a new person is blown away by how much stuff they've got to try and pick up, I think that hurts us inside <laughs> because we want it to be an easy game to play but obviously with rules complexity to a nice standard not to it being over bloated and just ridiculous to pick up 
Um, so you're welcome to sort of bash on that side of it, I suppose. <laughs> oh, I'm glad that we all feel your pain. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I'm glad I'm not just taking a cheap shot. Then that's just... no, no. <laughs> we all take those shots yep. constantly. We're all very frustrated by these sort of things. Yeah. Especially with prices going up on battle tomes and stuff like that. Um, because our, our main thing at the moment is there's new rules being released for armies, but GW being too lazy or don't want to uh, put out new artwork for the books. So it's like a, a basic thing that would sort of lift up that book is to refresh the front cover. Yep. But we don't even get that sometimes. So Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, so we have some of those interesting sort of things. Uh, but go to sort of going back to the rules and stuff like that, how sort of long would you think a new person would take to sort of pick up the rule set and sort of become proficient in playing? Like how many games or sort of where you spend a few hours sort of studying the rules and things like that? It probably depends if you've got a background in wargaming. I think okay. um, people who have got extensive backgrounds in wargaming over different or various systems over the years, um, you know, new games come relatively easy because you're using the same concepts. It's just tweaking, you know, the, the ones and twos here and there. So for MCP, because I'd, I'd played a whole bunch of different games, it mm -hmm. came pretty easily, but I, I didn't feel comfortable until about 10 or 15 games in. Right. Um, in that I didn't really understand what I was doing for about the first 10 games. I was just, we're just doing violence, just punching each other and not really understanding how to score points, which is mm -hmm. very, very common for new players. You just want to go and see Hulk smash, uh, <laughs> Hulk save the city. He wants to smash first, not, not win. Yeah. Um, so it probably took me about 10 games to figure out, hey, actually, it's about scoring victory points, not about um, smashing everyone in the, in the face. Um, and then the rules themselves, as I said, it was probably around that 15 mark where I was like, okay, now I, I, you know, I really sort of understand the basics of the rules and how they interact. And I, can, I can move my focus away on how does terrain work, how does movement work, how does cover work, um, all that sort of stuff, and just focus on the actual game. So between okay. you know, 10 to 15, um, but I'm a bit of a slow learner, so I'm sure other people will get it <laughs> much, much faster. Okay. And then sort of would you say there's a game system that sort of maybe takes a year or two to master, or do you think it's maybe a six-month sort of system? What do you feel as someone that's sort of played at that top end for quite a while now? How did you find getting into it at took like that that sort of time frame and then how have you found other players as well pick it up that's 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 a good question uh i think it's based on not on time but on like most things on repetitions okay so i think the game is i think it's about two and a half to maybe three years old now um mm -hmm. i want to say it's about two and a half years old i think it's yeah so i've been playing since release day um mm -hmm. and so i still question i mean i'm i'm pretty much you know without being silly i mean i've, I've pretty much done as best can be done in in the game system competitively online um okay. you know worldwide um but having said that do i think i've mastered it probably not because the game is still so new um it'd be quite a bold claim to say for anyone that mastered <laughs> something yeah um but to give another example is um a, a mate of mine so i used to play x-wing years ago and a mate of mine in the States who I used to play with online, um, he had one of his buddies message me and say, hey, I'm looking to get into Marvel. Um, my friend said, you know, you might be able to help me out and you've sort of been doing well and, you know, I'd, I'd like some advice. And so I spoke to him and, and gave him some advice. And then he went forth and played about a million games in about a month. <laughs> um, literally, he just played all day. Uh, he must, I don't know if yeah. it works or what he was doing, but he played a lot of games. And he went from being brand new so he made the finals um, in the largest worldwide event um, that the game has seen in its you know two and a half to three year history um, yep. in the space of three months. 
So wow, okay. You know, I go back to um, it's not really time; it's like anything. I think it's your reps and your commitment and your desire yep. to do so. Right. Yeah. So it's definitely a game you can crunch down like old mate did and just smash out those reps and then come out three months later after you've gone in for your, your, your deep dive and then come out and you're, you're ready to go and, and sort of in the top table sort of area. Oh, look, ab- you f- absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. That That is wild to sort of hear. I, I think you can, you could maybe do that with Age of Sigma if you had enough time, but obviously games take a lot longer. You'd probably just have to do two or three turns, re-rack and then start again. But trying to commit that much time to a game that probably takes a longer would be a lot harder to do. Um, well, yeah, that's interesting to hear that you can do something like that. Yeah, I mean that's another good point you raised, though. And you know, I suppose the beauty of of MCP is it's it's short, so that mm-hmm. sort of ninety minutes is a guideline. Some games will be done in forty five minutes, but ninety minutes is a rough guideline. But the one thing that I I do think this tabletop game has that is unique is that the online platform is the best hands down i think compared to anything else okay um, so on on steam there's tabletop simulator and the the marvel mm-hmm. crisis protocol mod on there the guy who does most of the work is from the states and god bless this man but uh <laughs> god bless him with whatever deity you worship but he's spent over i think 12 to 1500 hours doing it wow. and the most beautiful mod you've ever seen in your life <laughs> it's okay amazing. so playing the game online is in some ways, better than playing. I and mean, it's never better on the table, but in some ways, it's better than on the table. So if you want to go crush repetitions, you can go onto the Worldwide Discord and they're looking for game channel. And 24-7, no matter where you live in the world, there's always someone looking for a game. And you can just get... You, you could play 24 hours a day if you wanted to. So Wow, that's, that's crazy. Because we do have an online scene. Um, it was shunned at the start, but then COVID happened and forced, obviously, everyone to not be able to play games in person. So they picked up a bunch of tournaments and that sort of flourished quite a lot. Um, but the the mod that we had for TTS was garbage. Models would get flung around, models would fall off, models would just flip over. Um, it wasn't really made for a mass battle sim sort of game. Um, so we struggled quite a bit. I think it's been quite refined now uh, after speaking to James in an earlier podcast who pretty much done what the other guy had done. He'd just sort of ground out a lot of games online um, and came out and ended up winning a few tournaments in person. Yep. Um, so the game schools translated pretty easily, mm-hmm. um, but it's just the model range is not in 3D. Where some of the models were just a little, like, literally like a piece of paper stood on a, yeah. like a plastic base, um, stuff like that. So to hear that the online version works really well is nice to hear as well. Well, I mean, you know, the the guys who do the work on it is second to none, really. Um, but the, you know, the beauty of it as well, it's visually appealing. Um, the models, okay. most of the models are either um, the earlier versions are basically dudes painting them at home and taking around sixty to eighty photos and then doing a three D render. Um, mm-hmm. So they're, they're three dimensional models. A very good quality paint job. Some are really number <laughs> a bit sloppy, um, but then the latest ones—they're actually using the the graphics off the Atomic Mass Games um, website. So oh, it's actually okay. professionally painted <laughs> models. So the three D yep. render is beautiful. So yeah, you know, it's okay. a visually appealing game to play on the table, as yep. well as all the automated functions, and it's it's much it can be much faster. So, yeah. Okay, that sounds really interesting to sort of hear that you can do that online. Well, more competently as well. Yeah, I mean, the other thing too, without sort of banging on too much about it, but the online scene, this game, as I said, it's only been out for just under three years and obviously COVID's happened virtually as soon as it was released, I want to say. 
And yep. I, I think, and I, I've got no data to back this up, but I think the online community has saved this game and grown this mm-hmm. game because the few diehards like myself who jumped in early and then jumped in the first sort of online leagues um, when they first started have grown this to, to be now. It's just it's just shy of 300 for the worldwide online That's league. so good to hear, yeah. Um, and that's through, you know, because people can't play in person or whatever. But if you want to you get games in, you can do your local hobby night, um, then you can play online as well and do leagues or tournaments. And there's heaps of tournaments and events going mm-hmm. on. So... That's another thing that's really appealing for me is that I can play this online. I'm not I'm not forced to just play at my local store. Yeah. Do, is Atomic Mass Games pretty open and welcoming to the online community? So I think like all things on Tabletop Simulator, now I'm not sure about this because I'm not, I'm not across all the games, but a lot of it is Tabletop Simulator is, is don't ask, don't tell. Yeah. That, um, you know, technically it's, it's probably breaking some sort of things. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know that the implications of it. And I think you're supposed to own the models yourself before you play them. But right, yeah, it's it, yeah. it's generally not acknowledged by Atomic Mass Games that there is an online uh, okay. scene. Yeah, I think it's the same for Warhammer. Uh, but I think they did try and go heavy at some point, and they did shut down a lot of the mods. But then COVID hit, and I think even some of their own guys were playing it. Because obviously they couldn't get games in person and play tests and stuff like that. Well, I mean, it's, um, it would just be incredibly short-sighted, I think, of a, yes. of a business to discourage people playing their game in whatever well, platform there is. That that's um, that's games workshop for you. They'll yeah. do that. The fact that they've now disabled to buy digital content, like you can't buy digital battle tomes anymore. They've turned it into you have to buy the physical book to get the battle tome online. I just don't know why so the companies that, don't just buy the, the mods that are made by the public and, and charge us <laughs> or something. You'd make a killing. Yeah, who, who knows? From, from like experience with Games Workshop, it seems they don't want anything outside of because they're a models company. They're not a rules yeah. company and like that. Um, so, yeah, they're a bit funky, I think, with anything being put online, especially their models and stuff like that. Sure. Um, yeah, so it's nice to... Again, nice to hear that these... That the the community's super open and welcoming to play online, and then it's a competent system, and actually makes people want to play in like online as well as in person. Um, I did have a question in regards to sort of going back a little bit um, because I don't watch a lot of Marvel and stuff like that. And you were saying that models uh, feel like they're playing on tabletop. Um, what's the sort of like? balance and parity between models is there like a a build that's super strong or is there models that's super strong i know everyone can take those models um but is there something that sort of stands out above the rest in terms of models or builds not really um it's it's hard to i suppose compare it to i'll try and compare it to age of sigma noting that i think that's your, your main audience base from what we were saying earlier mm-hmm. But, you know, again, I'm very naive and very new to Age of Sigma, but it appears that if you look at a faction, it'll have one or two of the builds. Like if you want the competitive build, yeah. you take X, Y, Z and do one, two, three in round one and good game or whatever it is, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Marvel isn't like that. There might be some instances where you can do some very specific combinations on some very specific missions, um, but there's a random nature to the missions that make it incredibly difficult to line all your ducks up to make this beautiful right, yeah. work. Um, okay. I won't get into the, mecha- you know, the the weeds of how that does, but there's a there's a random mission system in it, mm-hmm. relatively random. So you can't do. It's very difficult to do preset 
tactics and combinations to just you know walk over your opponent okay so having said that what they have is at the moment 18 different affiliations so like you've got stormcast and chaos or whatever you've got mm -hmm. avengers cabal black order um web warriors etc cetera, etc cetera. all the things out of of the marvel universe yeah um and i think there are there are currently you know tier lists in that um i personally try and rank the, or I, don't, I personally view things in a top third of the tier, a middle third and the bottom third. Now, one of the, the things that I also love about Marvel is that I could be pretty confident, or I shouldn't say I, a player could be pretty <laughs> confident of taking a what it might be considered by some as a bottom tier affiliation and going mm -hmm. on an event with it. Yeah. Because the I suppose the, the breadth or the gap between uh, something that's really, really good and something that's considered average is actually really small. Okay. You're splitting most often, you're splitting hairs of excellence and you're doing uh, choices based on preference as opposed to what is objectively the most powerful. And it's down to player skill to break that difference, essentially. Well, it is. And it's also player style because each of the characters, so I suppose I'll just segue a little bit. Um, the, the way characters are, it's like a point system, right? Like any war game, mm -hmm. game, you have a point system. The lowest ranked characters at the moment are what they call, let's call it two points. And the highest, um, uh, the highest and most expensive character is eight points. But you can have a two-point model kill an eight-point model. So yeah, what the okay. game tries to do is re um, replicate. Now, I'm, I'm probably using words from the developers here, but <laughs> in my mind, what the game is trying to do is it's trying to replicate those cinematic moments you go and watch in the movies or read in the comics where the little guy gets the lucky shot um, and, and saves the day. And so mm -hmm. there is a lot of... Um, uh, RNG or randomness into the dice. That's something okay. we talk about. I was going to ask about that yeah. later on, yeah. For the dice, you need to brace yourself. They are very swingy. And if, okay. you, if you don't have a good temperament um, for dice and you're a bit of a salt master when things don't go your way, <laughs> this might not be the game for you. Okay. But, all right. um, but so having said all that, um, you can pick any combination of characters that you want uh, and you've just got to use your experience to Based on basically on the mission that you're you're playing and what you're expecting your opponent to to deploy onto the table, and you kind of tailor. But there's no you know set builds where it wins everything. It, it does just doesn't work that way. Okay, no worries. Yeah, we I suppose maybe the skill gap is a lot larger, and people have picked up those lower tier armies and have taken them to win tournaments. Uh, but generally, they're by quite skillful players that are near the top of the system mastery essentially. Yeah, um, right. and they have pulled out a sneaky combo, or they've just mastered a certain play style, and they're able to shut down all these other armies. Um, and most people, I think, a lot of people want to be snowflakes and want to try and replicate those and be like, "Oh, I can do that too," but with my own little twist, and it just doesn't. It falls apart pretty quickly, I think. Um, so we have got instances of because we've got a a lot of well, one of the main guys anyway does offers a. Um, essentially a win rate for armies. Like he tallies up and scores on depending on what tournaments are and stuff like that. Yep. We'll give you an average win rate over a thousand or 10,000 games, depending on how many games the army's played. Um, and sometimes armies that are at like a 35%, 40% win rate have taken out tournaments. Um, but the majority of our armies do sit around the nice spot of about 55 to 45% win rate. That's, that's um, actually quite good. Um, yeah. So for what it used to be, um, there were like a few 70s, but I think in the current uh, rule set, which is really nice to see, I think the top is about 62, 63 okay. or something like that, and it's maybe one army. 
Um, but majority of the armies are sitting in that sort of middle area, which is nice to see. But there are, I think, five or six armies that sit below 40%. Yeah, okay. Um, I mean, that, so they do suffer there. That sounds pretty similar to Marvel in that they um, there's a website called Longshanks, and I think it has okay. a whole bunch of systems. Have you heard of that for in, in your sort of gaming circles? I've heard of the word Longshanks, right. but not the, that software there or whatever that website is. So that's a relatively, I think it's, you know, Longshanks has been around for different systems, but it's relatively new for Marvel because Marvel okay. is relatively new itself. Um, but you can go on there and, and I'd hazard a guess it's probably logged over, I don't know, three odd thousand games of Marvel and, and it tracks affiliation win rates and it tracks okay. who your leader is or your general, you would call it leader in Marvel, but same, mm-hmm. thing, right? Um, and it tracks um, percentage win rates of each affiliation. And so if you want to get a snapshot of tier lists um, with no no contextual data, just what yep. what affiliations have the highest win percentage, you can log on there and just it'll it'll spit it out and tell you straight away. Oh, okay, yeah. I think I think maybe there's maybe a bit too much complexity in our end result for something like that to pick it up because there's so much variation. Um, and then tournament like there's no set um, sort of way to submit a tournament list. Yeah. Like right. people have preferred ways. Yeah. Um, so as soon as it, it's not the standard, it just throws everything out. So there's like two guys that just put in hundreds of hours wow. trying to get all the lists set up correctly so they can input their data, and it's all player done. Yeah, um, right. Well, so imagine. So pretty, I, I suppose the simplest way to explain it would be: imagine if, um, and is that Honest Wargamer? Is that the one? Yeah, that's okay. the major, that's where most of our stats come from because his team have put in a lot of time to get those accurate results. Wow. So imagine if they submitted the result that said, for example, and my, my knowledge of this is limited, but if you went to a tournament and you won it and you submitted mm-hmm. Stormcast and Steel Soul was my general, that that would be that's the that's the that is the amount of data that you put in that Longshanks. Yeah, are. okay. So yeah, we need a lot more than that. Yeah. Yeah. So you don't know because what else they're taking. You just know that they took yep. Avengers and they took Steve Rogers was the leader of the Avengers. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I think because our general swing so differently we couldn't input general generally ours is just the faction name and then sub faction yep um but then because of yeah they generally want to look for a bit more information than that so i don't know how that would go with Longshanks. it might be all right if they could pull just those two things there um but yeah i think yeah, yeah look, it's a bit of an odd one. Yeah, look, I'm not advocating for long chunks, by the way. If it's something similar to what your, your listeners might be mm-hmm. familiar with, then you can check out long chunks for a bit of a, a snapshot of affiliate. Okay. That's, that's, that makes it nice and easy then. <laughs> Is there a um like a play style like sort of thing that sort of pops out as well? Because I know in Age of Sigma you sort of Maybe have three basic play styles, and then they all have slight offshoots from that. Being like an aggressive sort of player, um, which can also be someone that does a lot of like a blue deck or control player, and then sort of a a techie sort of like a it's sort of you're doing a lot of things at once, trying to get the most out of everything. Is there play styles to the game? Uh, absolutely, and look, each each game system has different terminology or jargon. For Marvel, the the current and likely enduring accepted jargon uh, is attrition, control, okay. and either balanced or, or or an all rounder. So, attrition is as you know, there's some different you know interpretations of attrition, but basically it's violence. Um, I will okay. do more violence upon my opponent <laughs> than they do to me, and that will that will net me an advantage so I can win the game. Um, mm-hmm. That's a very common play style, and that's the most common for newer players because that's the most fun, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, 
Then there is control. And mostly when we speak about control in Marvel, it's about displacement. So things that move your opponent's models away. Um, think of it for AOS, you need to be on you know, the objectives to score them. In Marvel, there's mm-hmm. a lot of displacement. So you can throw or push or move characters away from you or away from objectives from scoring. And that's that's a that's control or a form of control. Okay. And then the, the balance and all rounder is as you know, self-explanatory. It's doing a bit of bit of both and a bit of everything. Mm-hmm. And generally speaking, and again, there's no hard and fast rules because you can have any combination of any characters with any. Generally speaking, though, your affiliations will have a bias or a I suppose an inbuilt advantage towards a style of play. Okay. In that an affiliation might have its its leader or its core characters who are part of that affiliation might have a lot of control effects. So they might have a lot of displacement built into their cards. And so when you play that affiliation, you have to take those characters with you because they form the core of your, your little squad. Mm-hmm. And so then you go, well, it's kind of biased towards control. So maybe I'll double down on that and go get some other control characters from, from the rest of the game. Or okay. you might have, um, you know, a really famous one is Black Order. So Thanos... Corvus and Corvus Glaive and Proxima Midnight from the movies, they are renowned as the scariest um, violence affiliation. Okay. Um, and because that's the way that the models are kind of built to just go and get. Yeah. So having said that though, you can build in, you can play Black Order um, control and you could play some control affiliations with violence. And it's just, it's up to player style and player preference. Okay. All right. And then sort of leading on with player style and stuff like that, you are saying the dice... It's quite a swingy game. Do you think there's like dice mitigation and stuff like that in play styles and in the way you, you roster build and stuff like that? Is there a way to negate all the, the swingy dice? Look, there's there's nothing nothing will mitigate dice in war games, I don't think. Um, okay. <laughs> but there are ways to mitigate um, dice, absolutely. And there's plenty of that in Marvel. Um, and what you can do, you can um, re-rolls come at a premium in Marvel. There's not a lot of re-rolls available. But some affiliations give rerolls, and some characters give rerolls, and so they are generally valued highly. Mm-hmm. So if you're, and there's also some dice fixing that's even more rare, um, but dice fixing is valued probably the highest, I would say, because it fixes the dice. Yeah. So <laughs> surprisingly, um, yeah, exactly. But the beauty of this game is that if you're that player who just goes straight into the salt mines on dice rolls, then maybe. Um, dice um, mitigation through re-rolls or dice fixing, take those characters. Like nothing, mm. you can go and take those characters and play them. And if that if that makes you a happier gamer, then go forth and, and enjoy and, and, and dominate. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can also, from vice versa, if you want to play control, it actually removes a lot of the dice from it because control um, usually wins through displacement and there's no dice involved in displacement. Okay. So when I say earlier that you can pick a play style that suits you and that makes you a happy gamer um, and not frustrated, it's just about a bit of self-reflection about what do I enjoy when I play and then how do I build something that will make me enjoy playing this game so I don't get frustrated mm, okay. with these crazy That's prices. cool then. Yeah. That's interesting to sort of hear about. You can sort of, your play style can directly result in how you view dice as a gaming system. Because um, as when I first sort of picked up Age of Sigma, I picked up Gloomspike Gits. Um, and I'm not sure if you're aware, a lot of the rules for Gloomspite Gits are dice heavy. Um, so their movement, instead of getting a set movement value, you roll 2d6. Oh, wow. No, I and that's their movement. <laughs> yeah, so that's their movement. So the main thing is squigs. Right. Um, they have anywhere from 2d6 move to a 3d6 move, and that's their move value for that turn of their movement. 
Wow. Um, so you have no way to plan how far they will go. Um, and a lot of their outside allegiance abilities are all based on a dice roll. There's a moon that goes across the board, and that's half your allegiance abilities built into that moon. That moon moves with a dice roll. If you roll a one, it can stay off the board. If you roll a six, it can fly across the other side of the board, and you don't even get it. Wow. That's, yeah. that's, that sounds like a, an, an army for a resilient um, dice. Yeah, so that was my first army. And there's also Skaven as well, but they do it to a more exploding detriment yeah. uh, where they'll do damage to you and themselves. Um, so we have a bit of that where if, if you enjoy the randomness and you enjoy the excitement of dice rolls, you have those sort of armies. And then you have um, one that I really find frustrating in general is Zinch. Um, so they have a thing like dice fixing essentially, which gets in my bonnet a little bit because you get, I think it's nine or 12 dice you get to roll and they're your set dice you can personally fix anything with. Yeah. Um, but my issue is if you're playing a dice game, why are you able to set dice rolls? And that's where I get my frustration from in games is I'm playing this game to roll dice and to have like the the difference come in and a lucky roll or something like that but if you're able to sit that lucky roll it just it frustrates me yeah fair enough That's <laughs> i fair. think minor minor dice fixing is fine but i think they had a large dice pool you can pick from um and that took at one point they were one of the top armies because you were able to fix certain things to happen and it just blew things out of the water yeah right um, so we do have that so it's nice to sort of see that you can pick a pace style it's not too drastic, but you can do your control where there's not much dice. There's a few dice fixing moments here and there, but nothing too egregious. Oh, look, absolutely. And, and the, the challenge, though, I think, is for players to A, even just recognise what sort of player you are, and then mm-hmm. B, once you've recognised that, recognise what characters align with your, <laughs> I suppose, your intent of how you want to play. So there's a little bit, yeah. of, a bit of knowledge and experience that you need there. But like any game system, you can ask someone who's, who's been around for a while and they'll give you a pretty good steer to get you on track. Okay, and then obviously as someone that's played top tier, won quite a few tournaments and is near the top of his game, you're obviously player skill comes into a lot more than the randomness of dice. Look, I, I, yeah, I've, I'm yet to come across a game, maybe apart from Yahtzee, um, where, <laughs> where, um, where player skill isn't the primary determiner or the ter- determining factor for, for who wins games. Mm-hmm. Where, where Marvel becomes really interesting, though, is when you have two players of roughly equal skill. Um, and I, I'm sure it's, well, I'm not sure, but I assume it's similar in Age of Sigma. Yeah, and when you have so. players of roughly equal skill, it comes down to, well, what mission do we get? Which which kind of does it favour? Which army does it favour? Okay. And also, hey, what are those key roles at those key times in the game where you just need to get that clutch damage or that clutch defence through? which way does Lady Luck tilt towards, which player does, does Lady Luck tilt towards, and that player might emerge victorious. But primarily, um, you know, I think absolutely in Marvel, um, the, the player skill trumps out. Now, having said that, some games you just get diced off the table. It is very <laughs> rare. It is very rare, but it does happen. So when it does happen, just uh, smile and wave and, and just uh, roll up the sleeves and get to work on the next game. Yeah. And so is there like a, with the dice rolling, is there like a crit system or is there like something that happens on special rolls or what sort of, like in Age of Sigma, one pretty much always fails, six pretty much nearly always hits and sometimes it has special effects. What's sort of the way the dice work? And yeah, good, good question. Um, so it's an eight-sided dice and there are, 
they don't have numbers, they have symbols, which, I mean, that, okay. that took me a couple of games to figure out, like, what's that symbol again? Um, but they have a, a system where, you know, they have skulls. Um, that's a failure. It's basically equivalent to a rolling a one in, in mm-hmm. Age of Sigma. But they also have a, a critical, um, which is an exclamation mark. And if you roll that, not all the time, but generally speaking in the game, it'll explode into you rolling another dice. So okay. say if I rolled, uh, I attacked you with three dice and I rolled three criticals, which is quite rare, but it can happen. It's like rolling three sixes, right? Or yep. three eights in a D8. Um, I would then grab three more dice and roll three more in. Okay. Now, they won't explode again, but I'll just, I've just doubled my dice pool through no skill at all, just through luck. Yeah. So okay. when I say the game is swingy, that's where there can be a lot of frustration and a lot of swing in the game is that if you just get this god roll or whatever deity you worship roll uh, <laughs> of a whole bunch of crits in attack or defense, you can spike really hard. And you can do, as I said, that, that little minnow character, that little, um, let's call it Agent Widow. We all know Agent Widow from, um, from the Avengers movies. She can take down a Hulk, um, potentially. Um, if yeah, okay. Huge spike. Um, it's going to yeah. take a few more than that, but, you know, you know what I'm saying, that... Um, that mechanic allows some really big swings to happen and you need a little bit of resilience and a little bit of a backup plan as you're playing to go, hey, this goes badly. Averages said this result and this result, but MCP dice often don't care about averages. Yeah, right, because there's such a small amount of dice pool, I suppose yeah. it means the random. there's more random. Um, and also very, very impactful because um, you're right, you don't, you're not throwing, you know, in Age of Sigma, you've got huge, huge handfuls of dice in Marvel. I mean, <laughs> the average sort of dice is four or five in attack and defense is kind of average three. So you're talking pretty small dice pools and, yeah. you know, health pools are also pretty small for characters. Okay. So you get a big swing and, oh dear, there, there goes one of your, one of your favorite guys who's got one shot. Yeah, okay, yeah, because I've played a few games of Underworld, which is their small skirmish game. Oh, yeah, it's a cool game. Yeah, I've played that. Um, And that has the same sort of things, but I think because people played that after coming from Mass War Simulator, essentially, they found that the dice were too swingy, Mm. and it came down to two swingy dice rolls. And because it was on a grid system, it was very predictable with the movement and the abilities, and it just came down to the swingy dice. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. Underworlds, I quite like that. I played a little bit of that. Um, mm-hmm. I've tried to play that again, actually, in a bit of a segue since I've played Marvel, and it feels like a, a child's version of the Marvel Crisis Protocol, but it's not It's not dissimilar um, okay. in that it's a smaller scale. I mean, Underworlds is far quicker, far easier, yeah. <laughs> um, and very, very simplified, but it's mm-hmm. not hugely dissimilar in terms of it's a small-scale skirmish game. Okay. And then what sort of, because I was talking about a grid system with Underworlds, what sort of measuring system is there in MCP? Uh, so you have three um, movement measuring sticks or tools. There's a short, there's a medium, and a long. That's it. Um, so when okay. you move, it, your character will say, you know, Hulk, move short. And it says on his card, Hulk, move S. Um, and they might say someone else like Black Panther, he moves long. And so whatever whatever movement stat is on your card, you just pull out that tool and that's how far it moves. So there's no sort of rolling or using a tape measure. It's just a simple tool. So it's really quick and also very precise if you're not clumsy or have the old shaky hands. I was going to ask, yeah. Yeah, Because obviously a lot of people have an issue with when players are moving models, you can sneak out that extra inch on accident or on purpose depending on what player you are. Um, Is movement quite impactful in your game? Like I know... For general tactics, but what about precision movement down to, say, maybe 
half an inch or something what's sort of the movement and like that yeah movement is i mean i think movement is king in marvel mm-hmm. and again that's why i love the game there's a tactical choice as a player evolves around movement or revolves i shouldn't say evolves it revolves around movement so movement's critical um and you know sometimes half an inch or even less is important so it is important okay. that you if you want to play competitively that you you are you know relatively neat but one of the things when I compare that against a tape measure system is I can clearly see if the player is moving correctly. Whereas a tape measure, you're all sorts of weird angles that you hold it and you're like, hang on a minute. Yeah. <laughs> is, that, is that 18 inches or 12 inches? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, so there's that for the movement, and that's really important. And then for the range system, it's not an, you know, you can shoot or you, know, you can shoot your gun X inches. It's a range system of range um, one to five. And there are there are templates that show range one, two, three, four, five. And you just put the template down and if it touches base to base, then you can do it. So when I saw about the talk earlier around the simple rule system, I love that. There is is eight templates in the game and that's it. Yeah, okay. Because I've broken many a tape measure trying to measure things out and it snapped back on me. So even just being able to use sticks, because I love using sticks all the time. Yeah. Because a lot of my armies revolve around like nine inches or six inches and stuff like that. Um, so I use the stick all the time there, but not having to use a tape measure that comes to with a lot of error where you'll bump a model with it because it's a tape measure and re- recoils out or yeah, gets right. stuck on something. Um, it's nice to hear that there's not, it's a different play, way to play the game, obviously, because you're using st- movement sticks, um, but they're not something that's just going to break. Yeah. Because um, I bought a few Games Workshop tapes and they're not cheap to buy and then they can just explode on you after like two months. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I had a few uh, questions that I posed to people as well. Just sort of, they're probably a little bit more deeper than what we've been going here, which is a sort of a good way to segue on further into Marvel. Sure. Um, as someone that's, and the community that mainly listens to this podcast is mainly more competitive. Um, a few sort of competitive questions, I suppose. Um, and this is probably more for the crowd that have listened and are more keenly interested in Marvel Crisis Protocol as a game rather than, because someone that's probably not interested is probably not going to really worry about a lot of this part here. Yeah. Um, but they they asked what happened. What's um, when composing a list? What considerations do you have? Yeah, I mean that's that's a good question. So um, the first thing when I compose a, a list, we call it a roster in Marvel. Okay. Is identifying you know I spoke about it a bit before is what what style do I like to play. And so I know that I, I like a bit of everything. I don't like to go all in on control and I don't like to go all in on attrition. I like to be able to do a bit of both and be involved in as many aspects, you know, many phases of the, the game as I can be. Whenever mm-hmm. something's occurring, I want to be as a player, I want to have agency in that phase. Yep. I like to be a bit of an all-rounder. So I know that up front after some self-reflection and I know that when I don't build a roster um, that allows me to do that, I'll get frustrated very quickly when okay. variance doesn't go my way. Mm-hmm. So I know that. I know I have some shit. <laughs> and so when I build rosters, I go, fine. Um, what will then enable me to achieve you know, that intent of having agency in all phases of the game or as many as I can? Um, and so I like to play a bit of an all-round um, uh, squads and rosters. So what I'll do is now I know that. That's my baseline. I'll then use my knowledge and experience of the game to review you know, the 18 different affiliations and go, hey, which of the ones allow me to, to do that um, without my core characters? Um, and I'll pick a couple that I kind of like. And then once I've, I've identified a short list of, hey, I think, you know, the following five affiliations will allow me to achieve that intent. 
The next one is which ones do I actually like? Like, who do I like the look of? Um, okay. You know, I really want to play, I, I like playing Asgard. I love the Asgardians. I like Thor in the movies. Um, whereas I don't really like Criminal Syndicate, a bunch of street thugs led by Kingpin, who's a bit of a joke. He's this human who's walking around fighting these superheroes. I mean, really? <laughs> um, you know what I mean? So I just try and find the ones that I enjoy because in my years of gaming, and I'm not sure how you or others feel, but I've always felt that um, you play best when you play what you personally enjoy. Mm-hmm. You put more effort into it. You put more thought, attention, and care and love into that into that model and and that or those models and the, and the game you're playing. Whereas if I'm playing with people, you know, the armies don't really care about, then I don't really care too much what happens on the table. There's no personal connection there and, and motivation yeah. and desire. I'm just like, oh, whatever. You know, I don't really like these guys anyway. So yeah. figuring out what sort of playstyle I like, figuring out what the choices available will suit that, and then just making the shortlist further on. What do I actually enjoy? Who who, who do I like? who is visually appealing? What's the theme of these characters that I like? And then once I've done that, I then try and optimize it um, to to be competitive as possible. And that then you go down rabbit holes and you can optimize it any way, shape, or form to suit whatever plan you have in your head. Because there's yeah. so many different ways to there's as we spoke about before. There's no sort of cookie cutter. Um, lists in Marvel. In fact, I think this is probably the worst game to net list um, in all the games. Of, in fact, I, I think this is the worst game to net list of all the games I've ever played in my life. Okay. You just, if you don't know what the designer of that roster designed it for and you just sort of copy and paste it, you're not going to know how to play it. Um, more well, often, okay. Sometimes you will, but more often than not, you're going to have no idea. Yep. You're going to have no idea why they chose the missions, the characters, who to play when, what combinations to play when and why. There's so much that goes into it that you can take it as, as far and as deep as you like. And that's another love for this system that I have is that it will reward and enable endless sort of tweaks and list builds and roster construction. And and as you're going for your daily run or whatever it is, just thinking about it all the time, it's great. You keep enticing me into this game more and more because <laughs> I, I quite, I enjoy getting my army. Like I've, majority of the armies that I picked is something that I really love playing with. Like I've picked Gits because I love the lore and the way they work and, it's randomness and it annoys me, but I love the army because a lot of people say when they first get into Warhammer, they go, what army is competitive bringing us? And a lot of people go, pick an army that you like the look of because you're going to spend probably a lot more time than you are in Marvel at the models you're looking at, but because you're going to paint them up and there can be 30 to 40 to a few hundred yeah, and you're going to be spending all that time painting them and building them. You want them to look and nice and you want an army that looks nice to you. And then you want an army that's enjoyable to play on the tabletop. So that's been my main core of my armies is the the four that I have are all around those principles. Yep. And then to hear it rewards people that tweak and tune their list constantly um, and then work it to a point that it becomes the list that you've built and you know how to play it down to a T. And you're not coming against someone that's just picked something off the net and it just beats you because it was just a stronger build or something like that. So it, it, it nicely rewards that sort of mentality behind setting up lists and setting up games. Look, look it does. And I suppose, the, again, without getting too deep, but to, to give some sort of context to you know making the character combinations we spoke about earlier, the best sort of, uh, maybe it's not the best, but the only real example I can translate to Age of Sigma is imagine, you know, if you love the, the Gits, Imagine that if you're um, 2,000 points of gits that you had to have, um, let's call it 1,400 points, had to be gits. And then mm-hmm. your other your other sort of 600-odd points could be whatever you wanted. 
Marvel's yep. similar to that in that if you've got to take 51% of your characters need to be in your affiliation. So if I want to play Avengers and I want to play a five-man squad, three of my characters have to be Avengers affiliated. It okay. doesn't matter how, how expensive they are in, in point-wise, they have to be named as Avengers in the, in the rules documents. Um, oh, okay. And then my other two characters, I could take Thanos and um, let's call it Damamu, right? Um, <laughs> that'd be a bit of a crazy squad, but you can do that. And so that's, oh, right, yeah, yeah. that's the inbuilt limitation is um, you must have 51% or more of your characters must be affiliated. And so when you want to take your core affiliation on, on a bit of a journey of, of self-discovery and playing and whatever else you want to call it, um, you just you play with the same two or three characters or three or four characters every time. And you might want to rotate a few of them around if you've got lots of members in your affiliation, but you generally form a core. And then you bring in the things that you want to tweak and change and add to strengthen your roster. And that's another okay. beauty of the system is that, you know, if you, if you love the affiliation you've picked and you've got their core models, then you can slowly upgrade your collection as you see new shiny things come out and go, hey, geez, this new juggernaut would be great in my Avengers. It'll do all these great things and away we go. So, uh, you know, that's a real appeal for me is that I'm not just stuck just playing Stormcast with maybe, uh, I don't know, <laughs> whatever the latest thing is to ally in there, but... There's endless, endless combinations that you can do. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool to hear because, yeah, I do struggle when I've got gits. And I, I, you can, at the moment, you can throw on like a big Kragnos model or you can throw on that new Conspire Incarnate thing. And that equals to like, what, 1,100 uh, points of an army or something oh, wow. like that. That probably goes over yeah. the ally value. Yeah. I'm not sure what the Conspire does in regards to that. But you can pick up some of these big god monsters that are like generic destruction or generic chaos and throw them in. So to hear that you can sort of build your main core and then have all these sprinklings on the side and you chop and change whenever you like yeah. means you've probably always got something fresh to play with as well as you've got your main core that you can work around and you enjoy playing their style, essentially. Look, absolutely. And also it gives you a sideboard. Um, again, it's, I think it's rare in all games I've played to have it. And I'm not a Magic player, by the way. I'm, I have heard that Magic does have various forms of sideboards. Mm -hmm. But because you have a roster of 10 characters and you're generally only playing with, let's call it five, you've got a five-character sideboard. So you can yep. you can change the characters you play. So you, it's very hard to get hard counted in this game. If you build your okay. roster well, um, there is very few hard counters because you see the boogeyman opposite you, you go, no worries, I had a plan for this. And I'll then bring in my sideboard characters who I only bring out if I see the boogeyman and you yep. employ him and you go and you that's you, cool then you it's like you're just go, a little contingency thing you've yep. got there <laughs> you have yep. activated that my trap card whatever, <laughs> you know what i mean so i, I don't know the ref like, i know the ref like the the saying but i've not played <laughs> magic cards or you going like that so no, neither. I, i'm not a card person either um but they i know they've tried in one tournament in the states they did try sideboard and i think a few like skew lists won out on that because they could just skew heavy into one yeah. side or the other um, um, but it's not really gone too far with that. Yeah. Um, so they've at least tried it. Um, so that was interesting. But another question that he's asked is like, which is he's asked for some really good questions to, I think, go for a deep understanding as well as more of a brief overview. Um, do you tend to bring cards to support your strengths or hide your weaknesses? Yeah, good question. So the, the, <laughs> the context of cards is, I don't know how this would be, how would this be applicable to AOS um, it'll almost be like your, um, is it your holy commands? Your uh, yeah, so depending on what army you have, they have different allegiance abilities. Oh. And your one of your allegiance abilities is holy commands, which right. you can plug and play. I suppose 
maybe it would be like command traits and artifacts. Yeah, okay, that's that's probably a better, yeah, something along those lines. So in Marvel, you can take five tactics cards um, okay. and you can play them, you know, not any time, but you can play them almost any time throughout the game, you know, when it's your turn to play cards. Uh, and they're really impactful and they're really powerful. You can win games without playing cards. Um, in fact, that's happened probably many times before for many players. Um, but, you know, they're generally, they're, they're key to, you know, get your team towards victory. And so there's a couple of different methodologies when you're taking cards. And those two methodologies were identified by that question is, do I take cards to double down on my strengths or do I take them to mitigate some of my weaknesses? And there is no correct answer. But <laughs> my personal preference is I like to take them to cover my weaknesses. Okay. Um, I might have, um, generally speaking, each affiliation will have like one champion card that is so good in your affiliation that you just want to take it all the time. And that's really doubling down on your strengths. So Avengers have this wonderful card called Avengers Assemble. It's got Steve Rogers sort of holding Monmere in the air and just like the movies. Um, and that's a really good card. You'll take that with Avengers all the time. Um, but then also we spoke about some boogeyman um, stuff before that when you see a really bad matchup, you want to be able to you want to pull your uh, your card in to protect your or multiple cards to protect your squad from uh, from what you're facing. And so the beauty of this game as well is how we spoke about before we have ten characters, but you only generally play mm-hmm. around five. You also in your roster you take ten tactics cards, but you only play maximum five. So you've got a full okay. sideboard of cards as well. Oh, cool. Okay. Yeah. So you've got a whole bunch of flexibility. But personally, I like to take ones that cover my weaknesses, so I can make the game as even as possible, and hopefully. Uh, enable the better player to win, which yep. I try um, through practice and, and repetition <laughs> um, to make sure that's me, but it doesn't always happen. And there's certainly yeah. better players than me. That, that... It, you keep talking about all this stuff. I guess keeps adding more and more depth to come into player skill, knowing what cards you want in your sideboard, as well as your general play cards, as well as when to play them and what weaknesses your whole setup has. Um, so it just leans more into repetition tactics and overall skill expression in the game um which is nice to sort of see as well look absolutely it's one of those games where you can just roll out on the table and you can go punch each other in the face and have a great time (laughs) and not not delve into those depths of strategy and roster construction and tactics in your on you know on table execution um or you can go deep into the matrix for big tournaments where you're playing over many you know many many games um, and try and, you know, make the perfect roster. And, you know, one of the things I love about this game, probably more than anything else, is making, trying to create that, you know, chase that golden rainbow, trying to make that that, that perfect roster, um, mm-hmm. which may or may not exist, but you're always striving towards it and you're always just, you're almost there. So, right and you can keep tweaking it. So it's, it's good. It's an enjoyable journey to, to go on um, as you take your little characters along for big events with you and, and, uh, yeah. Yeah, I enjoyed it. And, and what sort of does a tournament look like then? If, if you sort of got all this planning, all this experience to sort of put behind a list and a setup, what does a tournament sort of a general standard for a tournament look like? Maybe I suppose it's probably a bit indif- a different to in-person and online, um, but as everyone that mainly listens to this is competitive, mm. they probably will go straight into tournaments pretty heavily. Yeah, and look, as, as I think you should, um, I'm not sure it's the same for any other systems, but for this, absolutely. So I'll talk about three different versions of tournaments. Um, the first, I'll talk about a one-dayer. Um, so one-day in real-life tournament. You can do it online as well. But generally speaking, that will be between three and five rounds. 
Mm-hmm. And generally speaking, you won't do a top cut. It'll just be between three and five rounds of Swiss. And depending on the numbers of players, they'll normally have the winner as the is the undefeated or the okay. multiple undefeateds who has the best strength of schedule, which I think is sounds pretty similar to AOS. Yeah, that's what we've got. Yeah. Um, and because the games are only around 90 minutes long, you can get between three and five in a day, no dramas. Um, they're relatively common in Australia because we don't think we've got the volume of plays yet to turn up to, to tournaments to make them large tournaments for multiple days. Okay. I think our biggest event so far is, I want to say, 28 players. I could be wrong. So when you compare that to Age of Sigma, it's, it's quite, a, you know, less. I think if you... Was that 28 players in just the local scene or is that people travelling in from out of state as well? So it's it's mostly local there. I think that was one in Melbourne last month. Um, I think a couple of people came down from Canberra, but okay. most people didn't travel. Um, I don't think, you know, it's probably the same in AOS. There's not a lot of yeah. travel. There's a bit of hesitancy around travel at the moment. Oh, for, so for just for reference as well, just to sort of try and get a reference on either side, because when we sort of, our local tournaments depending if it's mainly a small one day out or something like that, you pick up anywhere for roughly 14 to 30-ish people maybe. Yeah. And that's probably with maybe one or two people coming from like a far north like area but not probably out of state. Yep. Um, but then the two-day tournaments that have a lot of weight behind them can maybe pick up 60, 70 people. Wow. And that's with people traveling from all over Australia to come to these tournaments, which is mainly just the eastern side of Australia anyway. Yeah. Um. But then we get like outlying tournaments where people come from New Zealand and the states and stuff, where you pick up two hundred or so people. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So Marvel's certainly not that not that big yet. And look, I wouldn't expect it to be. It doesn't have mm-hmm. the history and depth of Warhammer and fantasy and you know now Age of Sigma, but um, it's you know a relatively new game. But mm-hmm. I'm you know I'd be surprised if it wasn't that big in in a couple of years time. But look, so that's a one-day event. The two-day events, um, it probably has five or six or up to eight rounds of Swiss, and then you'll have a okay. top cut. So do you have top cut in AOS events? Is that uh, They sometimes do in the super large ones. There's just the one in America, the LVO, did have a top cut, I believe. It was a top 16. Yeah. I think the size of the tournament was just about 180 or 170, something like that. Yep. But that's the only one that's been a top cut that I'm aware of. Yeah, okay. So... You know, two-day events normally, you know, X rounds of Swiss to determine, you know, mostly the X and ones, and then you'll play a top, a, a single elimination top cut with the X and ones. Um, that's for in life, in real life events. For the online events, which I'm very familiar with because I've done them since they, you know, the first season came on. Um, the main one that's the most common and most popular and most commonly referred to in all the competitive podcasts is called the TTS League, Tabletop okay. Simulator League. We're up to, we've just finished season seven and we're up to about to start season eight in about three weeks' time. So they crack out, what's that, about three odd seasons a year. Okay. Um, and they run for, at the moment, our last event was 280 players worldwide. And so we ran six rounds of Swiss and that was run one game a week. So it's run like a league, one game a yep. week over six weeks. And then every player who got five wins and one loss, so X and one, um, went into mm-hmm. a single elimination top 32. And so you now play another, what's that, another uh, four games, five games? Four, oh, maths in my head I'm now. Sure. <laughs> um, so 32, 16, 8, 4, two. so you play another five games. Um, okay. Uh, single elimination. And that's a, that's, a common, that's a common way of doing big events uh, online. They also have uh, other online leagues which just do similar but smaller scale and they do online 
one day events as well. And I think they've done a couple of online multiple day events, but that's a, that's a big ask for people to sit in front of their computers for two days, I think on a week. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But generally speaking, that's kind of what they do for, for MCP events as we, as we speak now. Okay. And then obviously the online ones, they're pretty like easy to regulate and stuff like that because it's all done via computer and digitally measuring and stuff like that. Are there many issues you get in online or TTS leagues? No, I mean the, the biggest uh, the biggest issue, um, depending on which so you can play in there's such large events, the 280 players for the last one, that's broken up into different time zones around the world. So there is a Western uh, West Coast US, there's an East Coast US uh, or Central US, I should say. There's a European bracket and an oceanic bracket. Okay. And you can sign up to whichever bracket you like. But the idea is that you're available roughly at around that seven to eight PM on, on a general weeknight. Mm-hmm. Uh, or a weekend evening um, to play it around that time. So scheduling can be a problem, um, if you, especially when you start doing international scheduling. I've mm-hmm. never come up uh, against an insolvable problem uh, or an insurmountable mm-hmm. problem there, but that can be an issue, especially if you're really busy in normal life. Maybe it's not the best thing for you to do because there's nothing mm-hmm. more frustrating than you're trying to get a game <laughs> in, but your opponent's like, oh, I can only play at 4 a.m. on Tuesday. Like, well, come on, man. Like, that's not. Yeah, yeah. I've experienced that with trying to do <coughs> online TTS things for Warhammer. And, and I think yeah. you need a much larger window as well. So it's a bit rough. Yeah. But um, we have, um, there's a self appointed community of administrators who, administrator, uh, who administrate the league. Um, and I suppose conflict resolution, if there's any. And there's also um, community-appointed judges who do all okay. the judging for the, the top-cut games. And you actually have, when you're playing, you'll generally have two players in a, in a TTS room. Mm-hmm. You'll have a streamer with probably a couple of commentators who are streaming, live stream with commentators. Oh, okay, cool. <laughs> and then, yeah, and then you'll get a judge. To, we'll have to come back to that, that's for yeah. sure. Yeah, and you have a judge... Or you normally have a judge who's in the room watching the game. You'll have a judge who sits in the stream to pick up the online comments from people watching and to tell the to tell the actual judge in the game, um, just so you've got a, a double sort of safety system to try and get the rules. So, okay. Yeah. That that's I was not expecting you to say commentators, extra judges, extreme team. Because <laughs> the only like that's wild to sort of hear is and obviously, it's a larger game system that's picked up quite a lot in the last sort of year or two. Uh, I was not expecting something like that because our main thing that we have going at the moment, I'm not sure, did you catch any of the AOS Worlds I didn't, at all? No. So we, there's pretty much, in Australia, there's maybe one or two companies, not companies, but like gaming groups that have picked up and they'll stream a top table um, at an event. And that'll just be on their Twitch channel or Facebook or something like that. Yep. And they might, depending on how they feel, they might have a commentary for sort of maybe one or two people that jump in every now and then. Uh, but the only real main one we've ever had was the Honest Wargamer again. Um, he's done it, I think, a few times with some of the online leagues uh, back when we just had COVID issues. Um, but his main thing was to either stream four tables, but at Worlds he got up to eight tables. Yep. Um, and so that was... Uh, yeah, 16 players, I think, all up or whatever it was anyway. Yep. Um, and he and a few other people would come on and commentate and stuff like that and have a table boss. Yep. Um, and they'd have a few guys with roving cameras and then an interview team and stuff like that. Yep. So they had a decent setup for that, but there's generally only him that's really ventured into that space. Yeah, it's interesting, right? Because I used to play a lot of X-Wing and X-Wing um, coverage and commentary became quite big. And I'm, I'm not sure now I don't play X-Wing anymore, but... It's led by a few brave souls who started it off and 
it really took off um, and that was a lot of live events and that's obviously an expensive setup because you need the cameras, you need a separate sort of uh, quiet yes, area yeah. commentary booth so the players can't hear you, you know. But, you know, because Marvel's such a large online community and there's so many online tournaments and events that it's really easy to get game coverage and game commentary because I yeah, can cover okay. a game between a guy in the States and Britain whilst I'm here in Australia while my mate sort of streams it and I sit there and commentate with him. Um, yeah, okay. It's yeah. just so easy. So there is a lot of that. So if you, and it's another good resource if you're looking to get into the game. Um, there are a lot of really, really high skill matches that you can go and watch on YouTube or Twitch platforms um, and, and go and listen to some sometimes really good commentary, sometimes some pretty average commentary, but some good commentary and some good plays and you can get a real depth of understanding. Okay. Is there a Discord that this happens on? Yeah, there is. So, I mean, there's multiple, there's so many discords for, for Marvel, but there are two main discords. Um, the first one is, in fact, I'll have to look it up as we're speaking. It's called <laughs> Marvel Crisis, Crisis Protocol for TTS. That's okay. the main sort of discord server for the online leagues and where all the sort of league administration and, you know, stuff goes on. Um there is another Marvel Discord server. It's called Marvel Crisis Protocol Fan Server. That's more a just a, a you know a bit of a crapshoot. Um, talk about different affiliations and general tactics and strategy and just a general sort of interest Discord. And there's many many yeah. more that cater for different appetites in there. But um, I would say the uh, the the Marvel Crisis Protocol um, for TTS. If you want to get into the competitive leagues, that's the one to go to. Uh, well, listen, that, that sort of makes it a lot easier to get involved. I think because. Um... I had, uh, I'm not sure if you heard of him, we had a guy, uh, a guy interviewed last week was um, NC Dave, um, and he's just sort of coming up with his own um, venture for trying to get all of the Age of Sigma and Australia players into sort of his own sort of platform. Oh, wow. With tournament software, um, like, a late, uh, like a, an Australian ladder board and stuff like that. Um, because our main issue is when we're trying to organize stuff, unless you're on one of the dedicated discords, which are generally international, Yep. and we don't play a lot of international games, um, was trying to get in the right Facebook groups. Yeah, right. it pretty much all revolved around Facebook groups. So when I first joined, I was just playing in like a local area in the Gold Coast here, and we just played games locally between ourselves. Yep. And so to try and branch out, you had to know which Facebook groups you had to join. Yep. And I said the same thing to Dave. One of them was called like SE Queensland Age of Sigma. So unless you put in those specific terms, you're not going to pop a thing up yeah. for our gaming area. Um, so trying to get onto these, some of these things was really troublesome, especially when you're trying to get into more events. Yeah. Um, when you've got to travel or it's not in the local area and they trying to get into these things really hard. Um, so having a, a main hub like the Discord channel where it seems to be more predominantly online game, um, but there is a lot of in-person and obviously physical models as well. Um that obviously helps to have a big Discord server. Oh, look, absolutely. And and those that Discord, it really is for the online game. Um, okay. Uh, like, like you've mentioned there, there's for Marvel in person, it's Facebook. Um, okay. Australia group. In fact, I think there's two Australian groups and there's state-based groups as well. So it's just a matter of joining yep. those for in real-life events. Okay. Was well, there any sort of uh, interesting things or tidbits you think uh, people that are sort of interested in getting into Marvel on uh, would, would like sort of thrive on to hear? Look, I think we've covered a whole bunch on, and if people listen to this and some, as you said before, some will find it interesting and some won't. Um, but mm -hmm. if you are interested in Marvel, uh, I would encourage you to reach out to, I mean, I think your your player base and your sort of 
people you've interviewed uh, are in different groups that are associated with Marvel. So um, I'll throw you under the bus here and say, Rick, <laughs> and say, hey, I'm interested in Marvel. Um, can someone give me a demo? Yes. Game? Yeah. And then you can refer, on refer them to whoever you like, uh, myself included. But um, it's as simple as that is, uh, you know, look at your local community. If it's there, go and ask someone. I think the Gold Coast, um, Scotty's uh, running a whole bunch of, in fact, he's running a Marvel event this weekend. I'm, I'm going down to the Gold Coast on the 11th of June. Okay. To go play in a beginner, learn to play one just to teach people how to play. Mm-hmm. But go to your local store, see what the scene is. If you can't find anyone there, jump online onto the Australian Facebook page for Marvel and just say, hey, I live in X location. Um, who's around? Who can give me a demo game? And then go from there. You can borrow people's models and see if you like it and, and want to buy in yeah. a couple of models of your own. And then if people are really interested as well, I'd love to get you back on and even I'll try and get some experience myself so I know what I'm talking about. Yeah. And we can get into more nitty-gritty um, sort of tournament chat or like theories and ideas and stuff like that. Because um, I think it'd be really interesting speaking to you as someone that's been through the breadth of the whole game for the last two or three years. Um, but I don't think I've got—I've personally got the experience to ask you the right questions in that regard. Yep. Um, so I think I'll try and get some games in, and we'll try and go from there. If people are interested in hearing about this, so please do let me know if you want to hear more about this, or you're just sort of getting into MCP and you've—this is sort of the, your first entry point. Yeah, look, great call. And um, if you're happy, I'll do a bit of a plug for a podcast. Yeah, that's fun. Um, so I'm on a podcast called Strike Better. Um, and it's okay. about, it's it's a bit of a ripoff of um, a podcast from X-Wing called Fly Better. And the reason why in Fly Better is um, uh, Fly Better, I'm pretty sure it's the world's largest X-Wing podcast, but I'm really good mates with the host of Fly Better. And he plays Marvel. And um, we said to him ages ago, like, man, we got to make a podcast for Marvel. And so he did. So we make it together. Um, there's a bunch yep. of us that make it. It's not just him and I. Um, but we, he's he named it Strike Better to um, in honor of the, you know, <laughs> his origins in, in X-Wing. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're a, we're a podcast that's mostly competitive focus for Marvel. So that might okay. be people are interested. That's one that one of many, by the way, and there's lots of pod- podcasts, but that one will be worth checking out and um, feel free to get in touch and I can give people a steer for other podcasts. You know, that might be more casual or law focused or very, very competitive focused or whatever it is. Um, we can probably steer you in the right direction. And I'll, I'll link that down below as well. And I'll link, uh, where's the best place for people to reach you if they wanted to try and get a hold of you as well? If uh, you're... Yeah, no, no, good question. Um, I've got a whole bunch of privacy spends on my Facebook, so that's probably not the best way of doing it. So, um, what, what about Discord handle for yourself then? Well, Discord is just my name, Morgan Reed, on, on okay. Discord. <laughs> um, very original. But I'm on. I'll, I'll link your tag on the because I think everyone's got to have a hashtag thing, like a hash and then their numbers. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's fine. That's fine. Yeah, I, so I don't know I'll link that. that. That'll be fine. Yeah. Yep. Happy to but have I, I, I'll throw in some few last-minute questions. There are funny ones probably for more the local Australia scene. Right. Um, I'm sure you'll love them. I'm not sure if you've spoken to Gavin before, but Gavin asks, is there a special technique when you're rolling the, your dice, your little dice flick? <laughs> uh, I, I don't know to make that question. Uh, <laughs> I think I met Gavin at a, um, at a Marvel event, actually. Um, probably. Gavin is the life of a party. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yep, absolutely. Loaded dice, Gav. It's the way of the future. That's how I win. Awesome. Well, thank you very much for coming on, Morgan. It was great to speak to you. Um, I think that was all for... Do you have any more shout-outs or that was sort of just mainly your podcast there? Oh, no, look, just that's just a, a plug for, a, you know, we, we don't get anything out of people listening to it. It's not about that. It's more just about a, a point of reference if people want mm-hmm. to learn more about MCP and initial steer. But, um, mate, thanks for having me on. Um, always happy to talk about Marvel and... 
um, happy to talk to Brisbane and or I shouldn't say Brisbane, um, Queensland gamers or Australian gamers and and get the. Well, there's a few out. in New Zealand that listen, and there's oh, a few right. around in other places, like a few in Canada, a few in the UK, and stuff like that. So, I know the UK is a large scene in MCP, um, and a few of our top players um, have actually transitioned over to MCP. Um, I don't blame them. In fact, one of my in fact one of my best <laughs> mates, probably my best mate, has just moved to New Zealand, and he's the bloke that um, that convinced me on the very first weekend release to buy this game. So he's yeah. living in Auckland, and I keep messaging him, going, "Mate, get down to the local Auckland store, whatever it is, <laughs> and play some Marvel." Yeah. yeah. Uh, awesome. Well, thank you very much for coming on, Morgan. It's great to speak to you. Cheers, mate. Thank you for listening to Unidentified Wargamer. You can find links for the guests located in the description. You can find the show on Twitter at U underscore Wargamer, and I will see you next week. You have reached the life model decoy of Tony Stark. Please leave a message.